Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. We are weak, but He is strong. Hi, I'm Kevin Beltman, your host and recovering burnout pastor, who's here to share with you sermons and songs from friends of mine that I hope will be a blessing to you. Today, Rob Morosco talks about a king who, after 18 years, discovers the law of God in the temple. Pastor Rob says that restoration is always God's work, and so even we can be restored or redeemed here. And our song today at the end of this podcast here talks about restoration. But for now, Pastor Rob. Maybe this, even this can be redeemed. You are going to want to have your Bible with you today. So uh, if you did not bring one, uh, our ushers will hand them out to you. We're going to cover a bit of territory in uh, the time in the Word today. We're going to start in Second Chronicles chapter 34 and make our way all the way to the book of Ezra. And that sounds like a ton of space, but it's actually just a few chapters. Um, so uh, if you would open up your Bible, Second Chronicles chapter 34 is where we're going to start. And again, if you didn't bring a Bible with you and you would like to have the, the printed version, uh, we've got ushers walking down the aisle. You just need to put your hand up and we will give one to you. Back when I was in high school, I had a friend, Jason, and uh, his dad owned a auto body shop, Jerry's Auto Body. And uh, I loved going out to this place where Jason lived because his dad was always working on cars. And he would fix up all different kinds of cars, but, but the best thing that I loved to watch was as he restored older cars. And then my junior year, Jason decided that he wanted to follow in dad's footsteps. And so he bought a 1930s model Chevy pickup truck that was not in good shape at all, and decided that he wanted to restore this thing. So um, Jason did the majority of the work, but I would go and hang out there and watch him as he tore this thing down. And I mean, it started with pulling out all of that ripped up upholstery. He tore out the very limited wiring that was in this vehicle. Uh, He started working on the body and getting rid of all of the rust and filling in the holes. By the time Jason was done with this truck, it was absolutely beautiful. He chose a dark green paint and sprinkled silver flecks into it so that when it was out in the sun, the thing just absolutely glowed. It was beautiful. And probably the best time was riding around with Jason in this truck and just watching as people would turn and be amazed at the work of restoration that had been done. Now, I got to see the the beginning and I got to see the end But what I knew was Jason had spent a ton of time working on this vehicle. He had put in so much work in order to take it from what it was and to bring it back to this beautiful condition. Restoration is a process. Restoration is hard work. And restoration is what God does in the course of these chapters that we're going to look at today. In 2 Chronicles chapter 34, we meet Josiah, and Josiah is one of the good kings in the nation of Israel. Now, if you've been walking along this journey with us as we read through the Bible, we meet good king, bad king, good king, bad king, and it seems like you get one or two good kings in a row and then a really bad king. And when I say bad king, this is what I mean. They led the people of Israel away from worshiping the one true God, and usually they were worshiping false gods. 
Some of them went so far as to actually build altars to these false gods within the temple. Some of them even went so far as to offer their children as sacrifices to these false gods. All of them led the people of Israel away from the one true God. But every once in a while, then we'll find this good king who once again brings the people back and restores them, usually to a worship of the one true God. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, we actually start to understand a little bit of what lies at the heart of the problem that we have. And we meet Josiah. Now, Josiah becomes king when he's eight years old. Hold on just a second. He becomes king when he's eight years old. And right away, with the guidance of the priest, he starts to reform the people and bring them back into worship of God. But there's a significant thing that happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and it, I think, gives us a good idea of why the problem continued to persist. We're going to start in verse 8 and read through this, and there's a bunch of names that are in here, so just slide through these. Pay attention to the thing that really sticks out. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. They came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the keepers of the threshold, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin, and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They gave it to the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord, and the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it for repairing and restoring the house. They gave it to the carpenters and the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for binders and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. Okay, now we've got physical restoration taking place, right? They let the temple, the house of God, become a shambles. And so they're restoring the house. And the men did the work faithfully. Over them were set Jahath and Obadiah the Levites of the sons of Merari, and Zechariah and Meshulam, the sons of the Kohites, to have oversight. The Levites, all who were skillful with instruments, were over the burden bearers and directed all who did work in every kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. Here we go. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Hilkiah the priest, who had the job of teaching the people about God, found the book of the law of Moses. This was in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, 18 years of coaching Josiah, 18 years of leading the people, and he just finds the book of the law. If you can't tell from my tone of voice, this is horrible. Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law of the Lord in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported the king, all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and given it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. 
So they did a great job on the outside stuff. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, well, by the way, um, Hilkiah, he, f- he found a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. All these years... Bad king, good king, bad king, good king. All this work of restoring the outward structure of the temple. All of these processes of worshiping God. But what was missing was the word of God. They had lost the record of the one true God. Now, now I just want to make sure that we understand how serious this is. This is the word of God, the word that said, let there be... And they had lost it. This was the word of God that he had etched onto tablets of stone and given to Moses and said, teach these things to your children. Let them be on your mind and on your heart. These are the the words that every king, every king was supposed to write in his own hand and make a record of so that when he led the people of God, he did it under the authority of the word of God. And they lost it. They tucked it away in some closet and just forgot about it. Now, I'm going to put a statement up on the screen, and I've wrestled with this a lot. And in the end, I think it's true. So stick with me. Um, don't, Don't reject it outright. Just stick with me. When we lose the word of God, we lose God. And I know that that is a a serious statement. And I know that it has all kinds of consequences. And, and, and I also have, in my mind, had conversations with lots of people who have objected to it. I've also, in actual conversation, had discussions with people who object to it. But, but I think it is so true. When we lose the word of God, we lose God. And here's what I mean by this. The people of God were doing everything that they thought they needed to do. But they didn't really know who God was. They were carrying out the acts without really understanding why they were supposed to do those things. And I think it's not just the situation for the people in Chronicles. I think that same kind of thinking and and process affects us today. So look, we see the polls that tell us over and over and over again that fewer people identify with any kind of denomination or religion, and yet the number of people who say they believe in God has not gone down. 
But if you don't know who that God is or anything about him, what are you believing in? Well, I believe in God. Well, what do you believe about God? I guess I believe he's out there. I, I guess I believe that he's good. Well, how do you know that? And the further we get away from the word of God and actually knowing who this God is and how he acts and what he does and why he does it, the less we can actually know about this God. Well, I believe in Jesus. Great. What do you believe about Jesus? Well, he was a really great teacher. He was so kind. He loved everybody. Do you know that Jesus died on a cross? Do you know why Jesus died on a cross? Do you know that Jesus came back from the dead again? Do you know those things? Well, I've never heard that. I just knew about Jesus. And the further we get away from the word of God, the further we get away from God. And I think that's the big problem with the people of Israel is that they had lost the word of God. And ultimately had lost God. It's, it's why they so quickly turned to worshiping false gods. It's why they let their life of worship fade because they had lost any understanding of who God really is. I know that's a, a serious statement, but I actually think it gets backed up here in the words of Huldah the prophetess. Just a little bit later here in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, they send for Huldah the prophetess, and she speaks, and this is what she says to Josiah and to these rulers in verses 23 and following. She said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, that's King Josiah, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me. They had lost the word and they had lost God. They had forsaken him and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. I'm not trying to impose a false guilt. But I do want everyone to understand the seriousness of what is at risk. For the last nine months, we have been working through the Bible, starting in Genesis, and now we've gotten here to Ezra. And, and I, I'm so thrilled when I hear people tell me, oh, pastor, this week I was in my readings and this is what I was hearing. But my heart also aches when I hear people say, I don't have time for that. I get concerned when I hear people say, well, I know some things about God, but I think I know enough. I don't know if I need to keep on learning about him. And, and I just worry that if we lose that word of God, ultimately, 
we're going to end up losing God. Because we won't know who he is, we won't know what he's done, we won't know why he's done it. And ultimately, for the people of Israel, Holder the prophetess points to it, and she says, look, this is what God said. He told you this through Moses. If you don't keep my word, this is what's going to happen. And that's what happens. After Josiah, it's bad king after bad king after bad king until finally, this is what we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers. There it is, the word of God again. Prophet after prophet, he sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had, just a really quick aside, for the last three weeks over in uh, Upward, we've been talking about the characteristic of compassion. And we've pointed all of these athletes and their families to this God who is so compassionate. He sees the need and he acts. Here's God who because of his compassion on his people and on his dwelling place sends messenger after messenger. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no, and what a devastating statement, until there was no remedy. And the only thing that's left is exile which is what happens in the end of 2 Chronicles. The people are carried away into Babylon in exile. Now, we might look at this and go, what a terrible God. I don't know if I want to believe in a God like that, that he would send his people away from their land, away from all the stuff that they had known and put them into exile. If you're a parent and your child disobeys, are there ever consequences when they disobey? And are those consequences there because you hate your child or because you love your child? As a parent, as a boss, do you ever discipline someone? And do you do it because you hate that person or because you love that person? God sends his people into exile, not because he hates them, but because he loves them so much. And he says to them, look, there's serious consequences when you move away from me, when you forget me. And so we've got these consequences of exile. We've got this discipline that's taking place. And for a while, there's even separation. The people are taken out of the promised land and put into a foreign land. That's serious. But the people hadn't listened to God's messengers before. They needed to understand that there were serious consequences to sin. And exile is serious. I think it's also really important that we understand that exile is not the end. It's not the end. If you did your readings, did you notice that 2 Chronicles ends with the exact same words that Ezra starts with? If, if you have a Bible that doesn't have the devotional breakups in there, but just goes from one book to another, they are the exact same words. I'm not kidding. This is what we read at the end of 2 Chronicles and then at the beginning of Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Now that's the way that Chronicles ends. And those same verses show up at the very beginning of Ezra, and then Ezra picks it up from there with these words. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem." Exile was not the end because God loves restoration. And God goes to work to restore his people. And let's be really, really, really clear. Restoration is always God's work. Here's what I mean by that. Cyrus is an unbelieving king. He doesn't believe in the one true God. What in the world would take an unbelieving king who is ruling over a huge nation and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to send a bunch of my servants back to their home country and I'm going to give them gold and silver and all the resources that they need and I'm going to provide all the support that they need so that they can go back and rebuild their nation. What king would do that? Only a king who's being moved by the God of heaven and earth because God restores people and he does it in miraculous ways. And after 70 years in exile, God has not forgotten his people. He has loved his people and he has brought them back to his word. By the way, did you note that? God brought his people back according to the words of the prophet Jeremiah, which God had given to Jeremiah. So God is starting that restoration with his word. When the people get back into Judah and into Jerusalem, they start offering their sacrifices to God and they start rebuilding the temple. How do they know what to do? It tells us right in Ezra chapter three that they were doing all of this according to the word of the Lord that he had given to them. The word was back again central in their lives after 70 years of exile God had worked to put that word back into their lives and into their hearts. So as they come back into this place, they have that, which is what we see happening with restoration. It starts with God's word, and then it brings them back to this place. And now they know once again why they're offering sacrifices. And they do this in Jerusalem, the place where God had put his name the place where God had promised to be with them. But a fascinating thing also happens. God not only restores his word and restores the place, but he also restores the people. Over the last few months, we have watched as the nation of Israel grew and then fell apart. They started as one nation, 12 tribes united with one king and one God but it didn't take very long before they were separated into the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And over time, that separation grew. The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, had been carried off into captivity 140 years before the nation of Judah, and they were essentially wiped out. 
But when the nation of Judah came back with God's work of restoration, they are described over and over as the people of Israel. There's no longer a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. There's just one people of God. That's the work of restoration that God has done as he brings them back to his word and back to this place and back as a people. And this is what we read at the end of Ezra chapter 3 when the people of God are worshiping him as the foundation is laid. It's such a beautiful time. In fact, these are words that show up in Scripture over and over. Let's read this together. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. Those are words that show up again and again throughout the word of God as his people experience his steadfast love. God worked restoration and he brought his people back. God is still working restoration today and he's doing it in the same way. John begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. A few verses later, he says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word that he's talking about is Jesus Christ. He is that word of God who has come to restore us. Later on in John chapter 15, Jesus would say to his disciples, if you remain in my word, then I remain in you. And here comes Jesus Christ, the word of God himself into our lives to be with us, to restore us, to forgive us, to save us. And that's what he's doing in you Today, the word of God here so that we can, well, with the people from a few thousand years ago, say those same things about God, praise and thanks to him for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward us, the people of Israel. restoration has started. We pray. Oh God, you are good and your love, it endures forever. God, thank you for speaking your word into our lives. Your word who is Jesus. Oh, Jesus living word. Shape us, fill us, work in us. That we would know who you are and follow you with our entire being. To you be the glory. Amen.
So even we can be restored or redeemed here. And our song today talks about restoration. A professional recording is on its way next month. But for now, check out this live version, Even This, written and performed by Heather Choate Davis, Benji Coward, Ben Lang, and Adam Lamb. World's gone crazy, people too. Everything's breaking and waiting on you. So much anger, so much hate, so much standing in your Oh, it looks impossible. Oh. Self is gonna be 